I'd also like uh, for you to give it up for Identity, our youth group. Yesterday they served us during the conference. We'll continue the teaching today, tonight, and uh, next Sunday morning. Uh, and you all are invited. Please uh, be a part of this tonight. And it's going to be a powerful time as we continue in the teaching. But <clears throat> even today, we have Identity Youth. They're functioning in uh, the cameras, directing, assisting directing, the tech department, ushering today. So can we recognize them too? Thank them for... Yeah. <clears throat> Amen. So there are uh, powerful young men and women uh, in the Lord and... And learning how to serve the kingdom of God and learning how to serve one another and be a real person, someone that really knows the love of God. <clears throat> I would like to pray and just to help us all realize how important the message is that we are bringing uh, regarding breakthrough, regarding family, um, regarding fun, that we're still on that, and in a couple of weeks we'll, we'll continue in that. We had fun yesterday. We, we began talking about the four laws of, of God's love and how that love will intertwine in every area of our life, especially our marriage. <clears throat> and then we had a little fun with uh, Pastor Terry Ruth uh, over here as she talked about <clears throat> sex. <laughs> and uh, she says, I don't know if I can face everybody today. I said, yeah, you will. You'll just, you'll just get up there and you'll be fine, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so we, we had a lot of fun with that. We laughed and and I had a couple of the guys says, man, pastor, you're a sex fiend. I said, what? <laughs> But uh, it's online, you can go online and you can listen to the podcast and listen to it and really understand what we're talking about in that area. So we began a conference called To Have and To Hold. And last time together, we talked about how God, when creating marriage, created laws for marriage. Every law is based from love, and there are four laws for marriage. Father, we thank you for the passion of relationship, the passion of love, that everything that you are is about love because you are love, and because we're created in the image and likeness of who you are then that means that everything that we are is out of a godly love. Lord, I ask that you would just bring us into a unity of thought today as we continue in this teaching and understanding of what you are calling us to walk in, the kingdom reality of really what marriage is all about. And we give you honor and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Genesis 2, when God created marriage by creating Eve for Adam, he immediately spoke these words. For this cause, a man will leave his father and his mother. Now, 
we know that that statement of marriage was also for the future, also for us. Because Adam and Eve did not have mothers. I want you to think about that. By the way, when you go to heaven and you want to find Adam and Eve, look for the two people that don't have a belly button. came to church to hear that, didn't you? And every one of you had a visual, didn't you? They were created directly by God so they don't have mothers. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. That is the first law. It's called, yesterday we brought it out, the law of priority. Before you got married, your dad and your mom were first, which is an important blood bond that we have. Again, marriage has to be first. Before work, before children, before church, before friends, before sports, in real terms, for marriage, your marriage to work. Your marriage relationship must be number one. Here's the real proposal. When you propose to your spouse, I choose you. Except for Christ, I choose you over everything in the world. We spent a lot of time on that yesterday. Now let's look at the second law based out of love in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, Look at this on your screen. And be joined to his wife, Genesis 2.24, and be joined to his wife or cleave to his wife. The words joined or cleave in your Bible, and I'm just going to say this, are words that really don't describe really what God was saying here. The word is, is a word that is very nominal, in the reality of cleave or to join. Now, now let me just tell you, cleave, today you might think of a meat cleaver. No, you don't want to think that way in a marriage. But the Hebrew word is debak, meaning to pursue with all of your energy. To pursue with all your energy. It brings an understanding that marriage works when you work at it, with everything you got. Today's misconception is this. If I find my soulmate, you found out yesterday, I don't like that term. If I find my soulmate, I wake up every morning and look over to my spouse and sparks will fly all over again. Now, let me... You look over your spouse, I'm a guy talking, and the makeup's going down the face. And the wife looks at the husband, and he's snoring, and there's drool coming down. That doesn't cause sparks today. Chemistry never, ever causes a great marriage. You heard that terminology today. We have great chemistry So, 
It's energy, not chemistry. You work at your relationship. You fall out of love because you take them for granted for what you fell in love for. So it takes a person that understands because we're created in the image and the likeness of God and God is love, so then we are love too. Everything we are to accomplish is out of love. The, the difference is, is that we are deceived and we do not know. Let me tell you, a lot of smart people are ignorant. I didn't call you that. But ignorant is just not knowing. We think in the English language, if someone's ignorant, that they're stupid. No, you're not. You're smart. But there's a lot of people that are smart in the ways of man and not smart in the ways of God. And so we must, in order to be able to be in likeness of God, walking in love, especially in our marriage, then we really need to know who God is. Not what people say God is, what the Word of God says who God is. And if you understand love, everything he does is out of love, then everything you are is out of love. So here's the second law produced by love. I will call it the servant rules. God created marriage to bless us and fulfill us, and he created marriage that it will do that if we serve each other. If we will serve each other, marriage will work. If we do not, marriage won't work. Here are two reasons for that. We cannot meet our own needs. If I could meet my need, I didn't need a wife. I hear people teach all the time, oh, you don't need anybody because you've got God. And, hey, listen, God looked at Adam and said, I can't bless him as, a, as just by himself. I have to bless him as a unit in marriage. And that's what he said. Now, again, if you were here and you were single, you learned yesterday that if you are single and walking in that singleness, you have a greater call than we do. Some of you want to be married. Amen. Learn what it takes to walk in these priorities, the priority of the first and also the servant rules. We are sworn to fidelity too when we get married. Folks, I'm married I can't shop around at other stores. I'm just going to be straight with you Sunday morning, okay? Are you ready for this? Let's talk about some of this. If my shelves are empty, I can't shop somewhere else. I am at Terry's mercy. In a marriage, you are at each other's mercy. If you've got a wrong attitude, a bad attitude, you don't want to serve, you want them to serve you, then I want to tell you, marriage will not work. Marriage only works when we serve each other. And our priority is our spouse. So let's explain this and find out how to serve each other and recognize some of the problems in serving. 
And then I'm going to tell you ways of serving. But let's talk about the problems of serving. Number one problem of serving is selfishness. If you're selfish, marriage will be horrible. God didn't create a bad marriage. God created marriage perfect. Because let me tell you, because in Ephesians 5, I do a lot of counseling in Ephesians 5 with married couples. It'll tell you about the relationship between Christ and the church and the relationship between the husband and the wife, and they're two of the same. So there's not a problem with the relationship between Jesus and the church. And there shouldn't be a problem between the relationship between the husband and the wife. But the number one problem is when we are selfish. Every husband has what his wife needs. And every wife has what her husband needs. The proof of that was in the beginning when you fall in love. Amen. Let me just explain it this way. I, I heard this at a conference. It's like a store. <laughs> you have a store, you're beginning it. And what do you want when you open a store? You want customers or a customer. You clean the front window, you put everything in order, put every, all the stock in there. You put a sign in the window wanting for a customer. All of a sudden, this customer comes and looks in and says, wow, you have a nice store. You say, thank you. And you had a great attitude when you greeted that person. To give you a clue, I'm talking about when you first started dating. Customer says, well, do you have this? And he says, yes, I do. And so you run and you go to the shelf where it is and you bring it to the person, the customer, and you have a great attitude. And then you said, wow, I really like that. Well, do you have this? And you say, yes, I do. You run over there and you serve your customer again. Then you said, do you have this? And you answered, yes. But that's in that section, when you marry me section, right over there. In other words, there's something you wouldn't want to do. By the way, my dad is in the stockroom too. See, you shopped in each other's store and you fell in love because you served each other with a great attitude. You loved what they were serving you. But as soon as they become a loyal customer, you get lazy and you take them for granted. See, the thing that made you fall in love is now the reason you are falling out of love. People fall out of love. Most couples in the beginning knock themselves out and always show the best side until you secure the relationship. And you know, there are many couples that I talk to no matter what word I use, no matter what scripture I quote, they resent serving their spouse because they begin measuring. 
They've fallen out of love. They're not walking in love. Now, this is not biblical, but it will give you the point. I want to talk to you about a heaven marriage and a hell marriage. Both heaven and hell have the same table. Now, it's not biblical. Okay, remember, this, I, I can't quote a scripture. It's not in scripture, but we're going to talk about this. Both have the same table, delicious food, and the couples are sitting across from each other. But each couple have utensils strapped to their arms, but the utensils are too long for them to grab the food and feed themselves and bring it back to themselves. So in heaven, each couple asks their spouse, who are sitting across from each other, honey, what would you like? Would you like a burrito? Would you like a steak? Would you like some mashed potatoes? How about those wonderful Kalima burger fries? <laughs> oh, I would like this and this. Okay, here you go, honey. And you serve them. They serve each other a delicious meal of anything they want. Remember, anything your spouse truly needs you have in yourself to give. Doesn't matter what personality you've learned at work that you are, doesn't matter anything like that, you have not only the ability and the resource, but you have the responsibility to serve your spouse what they need. That's a heavenly marriage. Out of yourself, you serve. Well, in hell... You have the same table, the same food, and you sit across from each other, and anything your spouse truly needs, you have it to give. But in hell, they're all selfish. So they sit there, never serving their spouse, and the couple starves to death. That's a hell or a hellish marriage. And we need to understand the problem is selfishness. Your spouse is at the mercy of your attitude. They're at the mercy of your work ethic. And they're at the mercy of you loving them enough to serve them. Selfishness is the number one problem. Here's problem two. Pride and domination. Pride and domination. We dominate each other. There is never intimacy in a relationship when one is dominant. Look at Luke 22, verse 24. It's really interesting. This is really speaking of a last supper, the last supper of Christ. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? And Jesus says, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. The King of kings and the Lord of lords 
is the one that serves you and me. He came to this earth to serve, to shed his blood for our sins. The disciples were talking about who would be greatest because they then would be dominant. In the world, watch this, in the world, ascension creates privilege. In the kingdom of God, ascension creates responsibility. As a pastor of this church, I don't have responsibility to live your life, but as a pastor of this church, I have responsibility. Do everything I can, work as hard as I can, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and studying so that I can teach you and equip you for the work of your ministry, not my ministry. I'm not here to make you to do my ministry. I'm here to create an atmosphere while you grow, and then you, called of God too, co-equal with me in the church, we can do this together, doing the work of the ministry together. The kingdom of God is opposite of the world. In the world, everyone wants to dominate each other and get to the top of the heap. But Jesus says, I'm the one who serves you. If you're a person who uses your position to dominate, you're not Christ-like, Scripture tells us. Dominance also is a gender-neutral issue. Using the terms of today, there are just as many dominant women as there are men in our society. So here's a question. If your parents are here, don't raise your hand. How many of you were raised in a home where one parent was dominant in your house? Okay. How many of you would say that that dominance had an effect on your parents' marriage negatively? Yeah, a lot of hands going up. See, none of you had to think, let's see, hmm, that you knew immediately because you saw it. Dominance is this. In a marriage, the dominant is training the spouse to serve them. It's not an equal relationship. God created marriage to be co-equal. It's a sin to dominate your spouse, and there must be repentance. We need to ask forgiveness from God and ask forgiveness from our spouse. Did you know that Jesus is a shepherd? Did you know that? Not a sheep herder. The difference, Jesus gets in the front with a staff and leads, and a sheep herder gets in the back and drives you. Jesus leads and does not dominate. Problem number three with serving is a worldly concept of success, believing that being served is success. Matthew 23, verse 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Bottom line, what do we do in life when we go to a regular store or restaurant? You go there because you're served the best. 
The greatest marriage is two servants in love. The worst marriage is two selfish people in love. You still with me? I'm giving you a lot of information, and we got some more here. You will always be the happiest when you're serving, and you will always be most unhappy when you're waiting to be served. Problem number four. Ignorance of God's nature and or who he is. In John 21, verse 9 through 13, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Let me just take that passage. I've taught on this before, but this is talking about God's nature. God is love, God's nature. Jesus washed their feet. The glorified, resurrected Christ served the breakfast. Did you know the eternal nature of God is a servant? You know how people picture God, or this ogre God up there, and he just makes people die and makes people sick and all the different things. This, this total deception of the picture of God. He is a loving and a serving God. See, in those two episodes, Jesus was revealing the nature of God. Luke 12, 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have him sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. Jesus said, if you're watching, born again believers, when he comes, he will take you to heaven and serve you dinner. See, all through the Bible, we get, you know, and I understand when I taught on end times and, and we gave you all the doctrinal uh, beliefs and everything in here, but bottom line, what we need to understand in everything that God does is out of the character of God, which is love and serving. Jesus is the master and returns for the wedding and girds himself up and, and takes you to heaven and serves you himself called the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are who you are because of your servant God or your God who is a servant. Remember, we're talking about marriage. And we're talking about in our marriage, our relationship is in likeness with our relationship with the Lord. So listen closely. God made marriage to demonstrate his character. He created that. 
he looked at Adam and said, I ain't right. Not that he made a mistake, because Adam and Eve were in the creation of Adam. And he took that rib and he fashioned Eve. Let me let you know the rules of servanthood or to serve. And we're going to use the word serve as an acronym. First of all, serve what your spouse needs in spite of what you need or want or even understand. Make a decision. Make a decision to do that. Because if you don't, what's going to happen, you're going to measure things out and you're not wanting to serve and you are going to go the opposite way and marriage becomes horrible. If you married someone normal, they are not like you. Well, let me tell you the difference. Men's number one need is honor. Respect is our mega need. The number two need for men is sex. Now, about 22% of women want sex more than husbands. Doesn't matter who has a stronger sex drive meet each other's needs. Number three is men want to be buddies with our wives. We don't want another mother. Have a good day. <laughs> when I start messing with the ladies, I get those looks. Number four, domestic support. Ladies, you have this amazing ability, even if you're not creative, to just make the home a home. I've been in a lot of your homes, and you're amazing. So what we find with men is honor, sex, and friendship for men and domestic support. The top four women's needs, number one is security. The way security happens for a woman is a selfless, sacrificial husband who serves her and his heart is turned towards her. That your thoughts are towards her. The second thing that women need is non-sexual affection. Now, don't get me wrong. Women love sex but non-sexual affection. I always say this, uh, women are like crockpots. I didn't say crackpots. <laughs> women are like crockpots and men are like microwaves. <laughs> See, I, I, ladies, y'all said it, yeah. <laughs> See, let me just tell you, ladies, there's not a cell in a man's brain that understands number two. It's not there. It was burned up somewhere <laughs> in creation. Yeah, microwave. The third is 
talk with your wife. Years ago, Terry would want to talk, and I would think, she's nosy. (laughs) And I'm not going to feed that monster. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, I love to listen to her now. I mean, talk (laughs) with her. You know, see, I could either be the greatest husband in the world or not because of the way I respond to her needs. You know, the proof is, the studies, actual studies, is if you, the man, would talk with your wives, then later on that becomes sexual. It's not the end result you're looking for. But it's the proven fact. Why? Because your wives are crockpots, slow cookers. Number four that I want to show you is, is leadership. Women want leadership. Women want leadership. Not that you, you overcome them, that you're dominant or dominating them, but they want a leader that will treat them equally. Lead with the kids. Lead in the spiritual area. Don't, don't go to that extreme that I'm not happy with my husband because he's not always praying or he's not always doing what I do. Stop making your husband the way you think he should be. Let God work with him, but let him serve you. And husbands, you need to realize that they want you to do that. You may not pray like your wife does, but release her to prayer and move into that realm. Be the initiator. God created us that way. In a marriage, when your spouse comes up and tells you what they need, our tendency is to shame, reject, and to translate it in our language. Well, let me just say this. Instead of your wife, let's say your spouse. The illustration. Imagine going into a restaurant. And all these illustrations I've heard and have read, so they're not originally from me. I think it's pretty funny. Imagine you go into a restaurant and the waiter comes up to you and says, Hi, what would you like to eat? And then you say, I would like a cheeseburger and order fries. And the waiter looks at you, no, that doesn't sound good to me. Why don't you try it again? Okay, well, how about a pizza? And they get closer to you and they go, you don't look like you need pizza. I know you need a salad. That's what you need. And then he goes, sorry, that's just the way I am. I can't serve something that doesn't sound good to me. Welcome to marriage. I'm giving you my order and you keep changing it. I'm telling you what I want, but you're not listening. I'm a normal man 
and you're a normal woman, but we are different. Stop trying to make me like you. What are we to be? Like Christ. So when we do that, you know, I knew when I got to this point, everyone's going to be like, like you've been eating lemons, you know. Not going to say anything about that. I need in your store something different than you need in my store. Got that? The only way a marriage works is when you serve your spouse, not according to what you need or want, but according to what they need or want. It doesn't matter if you don't want to talk, guys, talk. It doesn't matter if your husband wants to do something, but you don't want to do it, do it. It's a sacrificial relationship when you serve each other. To the young people today, I hope you're listening to this because marriage is perfect. It is a blessing. I live to serve Christ and I live to serve Terry. And because I do that, my needs are met. Hi, family. I love you. Yeah. See, when you first met, you did 13,000 things you hated. You did. You want to do what? Okay, let's do that. This is fun. Ugh. This is fun. See, we're learning how to have fun here. Here's the second under the word serve. E, enjoy serving your spouse and do it with a joyful attitude. Did you know enjoyment and joy is a choice? It's not a feeling or emotion. I communicate love, value, and acceptance and priority to my wife. Again, I live to serve Terry Klaus, and I serve Jesus and Terry. I live for Jesus, Terry, and my family in that order. The third reason, R in the word serve, reject scorekeeping and do what you do with a spirit of grace and faith. Reject scorekeeping. I even counseled some couples, not here, okay, so don't start looking around, that actually had a book that they kept score. And I looked at that and I said, oh my Lord, Jesus, are you strong enough to help these people? You know, it's kind of like, by the way, he is. Reject scorekeeping and do what you do with a spirit of grace and faith. First Peter 2.21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that you should follow his steps. It's called redemptive love. I know you think Terry is Miss Perfect. She's really close to that. But did you know that once in a while she bugs me? The concept is how do you treat your spouse when they are doing the wrong thing? How do you treat them? With grace and faith. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 through 4. This is for the ladies. And if I see three of you get up, I'm going to run. Anyways, (laughs) wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of of their uh, wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, it's not afraid of them, it's by respect. Do not leave your adornment be merely outward, a wringing of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden person of the heart. In other words, bottom line, uh, ladies, you just have to realize, you know, I told Terry this a thousand times. You know, I don't care how old she gets, whatever goes on with her body, whatever, that she's it. I mean, I I look at her and I go, whoa, like Adam did with Eve. Whoa, man. (laughs) And and the thing that we have to understand, a lot of times the wives, you think you're going to win them by making sure they don't see the makeup, you know, moving here or there or whatever. (laughs) That's not it. The man will always be there, but what it is, it's really of the hidden heart the chaste heart. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And when you, when you study the gentle and quiet spirit, you know, the translation there is really trying to say, you know, women, shut up. It's not saying that. Quiet is a soft response. Remember Proverbs A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Amen. That's what it's talking about. In other words, you treat your husband better than he deserves. Men, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the, now listen to this, I know everyone who don't talk like that, as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You cannot disassociate the way you treat your wife the way you treat your God. That's what it's saying. The way you treat your God is the way you need to treat your wife. Honor and respect. And when it says the weaker vessel, women are not weaker than men other than physically. But you treat her like fine china. Right, China? Amen. (laughs) Because she's a fellow heir. 
with Jesus Christ and is co-equal with you. I have never looked at my wife. I've learned how to live out the love of God out of me towards my wife, but I have never looked at my wife as lower than me. And I never will. Matter of fact, I put her up on a pedestal. And that's what we have to understand. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. I didn't mean that your wife is your enemy or your... (laughs) But love your spouse redemptively. Amen? Redemptively. Here's the fourth in the word serve. Vigilantly, vigilantly protect the priority of your marriage and the time and energy to serve your spouse. Serve your spouse the best. If you work hard at work, serve your spouse better. Train your children to respect your marriage. There would be times my wife and I would go and sit in another room, and you'd see the kids when they were small. You know, they'd go, Daddy, yeah, can I have a drink of water? I'll give you that drink of water in a little bit. Go on and read your book. Mommy and Daddy are talking. And, and the reality is that you begin to show your children this very thing. Develop disciplines to be able to sit down with your spouse and to tell your children, you know, at this time, most times when kids are watching their parents talk, you know, in a, in a room with the door closed or whatever, they think that they're talking about them. them. You're thinking the parents are talking about you. But let me tell you, my wife and I, at times we would just go in and just talk. Okay, what are we going to do this week? What are we going to do this month? This came up, and this happened, and, and this is where we're at, and, and this broke in the house, and so we can't do this, what we planned. Or just, honey, how are you today? Develop disciplines and traditions for, for you as a couple to keep marriage first. My wife did that a lot. She did that, developed traditions in our home, still there for us. Um, She developed for the kids, for holidays, all the above. And it's wonderful. You know, it's just, it's awesome. I love it. But part of that happened because I learned how to serve my wife. And when when she told me something she wanted to do to develop a tradition, I've been over backwards to make sure that could happen. And for years, my wife and I had zero money. Zero money. And it wasn't about money. It wasn't about where you're going to go. You know, well, you know, you go out somewhere, we go out to Burger King, and other people go to Hawaii. You know, I mean, that's, that's how it was. And, but we didn't look at it and say, oh, I wish we'd go to Hawaii. We're not having any fun. Some of the greatest times we had was eating a Whopper and fries. Here's the last of serve, and we'll be done. Expect to be blessed and don't get discouraged regarding serving or to serve. Expect to be blessed and don't get discouraged. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12 says, But he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see that? It's kingdom reality. You, you, you need to expect and don't be uh, discouraged when it seems like you're doing something and you're changing your attitude and there's a bad attitude and wrong thinking coming back at you. Don't get discouraged. Because the Bible says if you do this and you stay with this with faith and grace, it will come back to you. You are planting seed in your marriage home. And when you do that, you are developing this reality of relationship. After 40 years, I love my wife more than you could ever think because of who she is. And because I just developed in my own heart, she developed in her heart of servanthood. And we've learned to serve. Philippians says, Jesus came and took the form of a servant that God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. Here's my last statement. If you will humble yourself and serve your spouse, God will exalt you and he will exalt your marriage and your home. God's plan is amazing. Marriage has never changed from the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. God's plan for you is success. God's plan for you is joy. God's plan for you is peace. And what it takes is a person that knows, here, the second law we just talked about, first law is a law of priority. Your marriage is first. And the second, the law of servanthood. And the next couple times together, we will talk about the third and the fourth. But I want to tell you, church family, you get this. You have this. I've watched you. And what I'm asking you to do is to have a greater breakthrough, and let's just have a lot of fun. Let's all stand.